Find your way back to your seats. And we should have a wonderful opportunity to continue talking after the service with uh, tea and coffee and all of that. So thank you to those who will be doing all of that for us. Before we get into the word this morning, let's pray. Jesus, as we go through this sermon of yours that you gave to your disciples on the mount, we pray that you will speak to us into our hearts by your spirit. Help us to take seriously the challenges that you give us, but help, help us also and more so to see the depth of the love that you show to us the love of God that you make known to us, that we might know that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we don't have to earn your favour, but that you've given it to us by grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we pick it up in Matthew chapter 6, uh, yeah, chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own.
As we go through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, there's a key theme coming out. He cares about our hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart, we saw in the first week, for they will see God. We saw that the heart of the law was not just about doing all the right things like the Pharisees did, but about our heart, our love, our attitudes towards our neighbour and towards God. We saw the heart of acts of devotion, of worship last week, of prayer and fasting and uh, giving to the poor. And then it's about, it's important that we do these things if we want to please God by doing them. We do them not so that we look good before other people, but do them out of a heart that loves God and loves people. And in this section of his sermon, as Jesus is calling us to examine our hearts. He wants to get to the heart of our relationship with money. What does it look like to have a heart for God when it comes to our finances? And there are three key things that Jesus talks about, three examples that he gives, three stories that he tells to give us some principles about how we love God how it looks like when we love God when it comes to our money. And the first thing Jesus tells us to do is to store up treasures. Now you notice he started off with don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Everything really that we can earn in this life, every uh, Status, every um, symbol of wealth and status that we can get can be lost to us somehow. Some things are you know, transitory by their nature. They won't last. Other things, well, you know, a, a big bar of gold isn't going to rust, but you could still have somebody break in and steal it. But Jesus doesn't just say to them, don't store up treasures on earth. He also tells them, store up treasures, but store up treasures that are in heaven. Everyone is storing up treasures in their life. But the question is, where? Are we putting all of our hope and all of our trust in things that are uncertain, in things that will decay? Are we putting it in the fancy car that shows everybody just how successful our business has been or in the big home or even, you know, there's probably not many of us in this church who are, who are wealthy, who are, you know, in that 1%. But is our hope for the future really built in, oh, well, I should have enough in my superannuation account. I should have enough in my mojo account. I should have, you know... My future should be, should be okay because I've got this saved away. Now, that's not to say that doing any of these things, having an account or superannuation is wrong. But if tomorrow there was a financial crisis and all of our super was wiped out, yes, that would be very annoying. All the money that you, all these things that you'd work for were gone. But would that be an annoyance 
Or would that be like life-shattering to us? Would it would it would we suddenly be I, I no longer have a firm foundation to stand on? This is what Jesus is talking about. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When our heart is turned to money and possession and comfort, those things become our treasures. When our heart is turned to God, He becomes our treasure. When we put our trust, when we we put our efforts into the things that we know will last forever, then we know that those things can never be stolen, can never be taken away. The money that we give to somebody in need out of our love for Jesus and our love for our neighbour is building up, the Bible says, a reward that can never be taken away. Now, it doesn't go into much detail about what those rewards are. I don't know whether when we get to heaven, some of us might get some perks that others don't. If that is the case, the Bible is quite clear that the poorest person in heaven will still be much better off than the wealthiest person here. But the treasures might be those intrinsic rewards, those people who are in heaven with us because of what God has done through us. What a hope that is to look forward to. And so Jesus invites us to think about where are our hearts set? If we imagine there's somebody who's not very good with their money and they win the mega million jackpot and they get $10 million and they spend their $10 million in a year on, on all these sort of extravagancies and then it's all gone, we'd think that was a bit dim, wouldn't we? And yet Jesus is saying, this is what you're doing. You're taking all of this money that you could be investing in eternity and you're just blowing it. And he says, it's a bit dim because we should be investing in things that will last forever. Storing up treasures. When we think about all the things that we do, the good that we do, the way that we help people, the way that we show love to God's people is storing up treasures in heaven. It gives context to everything that we do as Christians. So how do we set our heart on treasures that will last? And that's the next image Jesus gives. We turn our eyes on God. Now Jesus' next illustration is a little bit confusing. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, on its own, it's like, oh, I, I guess that's true, Jesus, but what, what's the point you're getting at? But in the context, sandwiched between two things about money, and he's talking about the eyes, our eyes as being like what's, let's, what lets light into the rest of us. And what we fix our eyes on then will be, uh, will decide what, the rest of our life is like, what our hearts are like, what our life, yeah, what, what our 
attitudes are like. When our eyes are focused on God, when He is our treasure. Now, this isn't to say you can't have any of the other things. But if our eyes are focused on God first and foremost, then that informs the rest. That informs our hearts. That sees our lives as being full of light. The sort of lives that make a difference to the world around us. But when our focus and our desire, our greatest hope, our greatest fixation and obsession is on other things, instead we have darkness and blindness. And as we go through this, and this will come out even more clearly in Jesus' final example, Jesus doesn't say that money is evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus warns us not to store up our excesses. He doesn't tell us that we have to, you know, starve and give everything away. But he tells us that when we set our hopes and we set our desire more than anything on money, on winning the game of life and having more than the other other people in the game, when we do that, Money becomes our master. Because Jesus' next illustration, no one can serve two masters. Now, we look at that today and we think, well, lots of people work two jobs. Lots of people, you know, lots of people have two bosses and things. But Jesus isn't using the illustration of a boss and a workplace. He's using the illustration of slavery, of being owned. And he says, you cannot have two masters. You cannot be owned by two things. You cannot be owned by God and mammon. Now, that's an odd word I used there at the end. You cannot serve both God and money. And the word that Jesus used for money there was the word mammon. And it's it's not the most common word that's used in the uh, the New Testament for money. It's a very uncommon word. It's only used by Jesus in a couple of contexts. And it's often used outside of, uh, in its other uses, It's a transliteration of an Aramaic word and it's used for money and possessions in their negative sense most often. But its literal kind of meaning, that which it was based on, is that which you depend on, that which you put your trust in. And by, by Jesus' time, that word had come to refer to money and possessions because that's what people put their trust in. That's what people depended on. Jesus isn't telling us all money is evil, let's go off and start a moneyless communist society somewhere. But he's telling us money is a useful servant, but a terrible master. And we live in a society where people are mastered by money. It's not just about that whole... I use that example of getting in front in the game of life and having to have more than the next bloke. But our whole society is built on this... You've got to have more. You've got to have better. 
billions of dollars get spent in advertising every year to convince people that you need to have this to make your life good. That every product is, is marketed as this is part of the good life. This is part of what you need. And so we see people getting into all of their, you know, 30-month interest-free lock-in contracts and their, because they need to have all these things. And slowly but surely, money is becoming their master. As they grow in their debts, as they grow in their desires for things. Materialism is rife in our culture. Now, that, that doesn't just mean having things, but it's like that finding purpose in having the most things and the best things, seeing the things as what gives our life value. Mammon becomes our master as we get caught up in the creeping standard of living, that suddenly having a good life requires two carports and having the good life requires extra bedrooms and having the good life requires two different types of uh, you know, fridge freezers and having the good life requires not just a car but one of the good cars. And very easily, money can become our master. It's not just in the world out there. It can creep into the church, into our hearts. And Jesus warns us, watch your heart. Watch that money isn't becoming the one who owns you. So when it comes to our money, then where is the line? What's Jesus saying? Where's the line that I can say, okay, if I give this much to God, then I love God more than money? What percentage of my income do I need to, to give away? Or, or is it a flat rate? Is it I'm allowed to keep this set amount and then the rest has to go to God? Or, uh, you know, how often can I have a steak and a nice meal? Or, do, you know, does it, does it need to be porridge three meals a day? Or, you know, how often can I run my heater and my air conditioning? Uh, and, and, and how often should I be avoiding that to give the money away? Should I always get the cheapest option? Should I always... Jesus doesn't give us a line. Jesus doesn't say, this is where the line is. This is the percentage. Because people can follow a line without their hearts being in it. Paul expresses the same idea very clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, just before the famous love passage. If I give all that I possess to the poor, this is the greatest possible act of, of giving to others. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. God's not impressed if it's not something that comes out of our hearts. So Jesus doesn't tell us here's the line. He just tells us, have a look at your heart. And in a crisis, when the world falls apart, what do I put my hope in? What do I put my trust in? And in his final illustration, Jesus calls us, of course, to put our trust in God. 
the phrase that's repeated over and over again through this passage, but also even much of the Bible itself, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Don't worry about food and drink and clothes. And I think for Jesus' first audience, as well as for a lot of us, our first answer is, why not? We need those. I mean, you don't live very long without food. And, well, you can live without clothes, but that's a bit embarrassing. But Jesus tells us, the Father knows you need them. God made us. He planned out every one of our days before one of them came to be. God knows what we need better than we do. So Jesus tells them, don't worry like the pagans. Don't be like the people who don't know God, who don't know God's goodness and can't trust in him. You do know God. And so he says, seek God first. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Seek being one of his people and putting your trust in him. And these will be added to you. Now, let me tell you, sometimes as somebody who gets a bit of anxiety, I read these words and I think, Jesus is telling me not to be anxious, but I know I am a bit anxious. And so maybe that means that I'm not being as good a disciple as I should be. And, and, and suddenly I'm being anxious about being anxious. I'm worrying about worrying. I don't think that's what Jesus wanted us to do when he said these words. It's not about making us feel guilty. I think Jesus is giving us the answer to anxiety, the answer to worry, not, not a silver bullet that takes it away like that. But something that we remind ourselves every time we're tempted to be anxious, every time we're tempted to worry about these things, he says, remember this, God loves you. God cares for you. When you're feeling anxious, look around and you will see the goodness and the generosity of God in so many things. He tells them, look at the birds. They don't store their, they don't plant crops, they don't reap them, they don't put them in barns, but God sees that they're fed. And he cares more about you who is made in the image of God than about the birds. Look at how he dresses the flowers. Look, they're just fancy grass. They, they serve no real useful purpose, but God makes them look beautiful because that's his design, that's his nature, to make things beautiful, to make things good. And so even though this world is tainted by sin, so much of his goodness can still be seen. And it reminds us that God is good, that he loves his people and he cares for his creation. We see God's goodness everywhere. We can see God's goodness even in a nice dinner. God didn't have, you know, the, the whole purpose of food is just to sustain our bodies. God didn't have to invent taste. We could have just lived on, lived on gruel paste and that would have been enough to feed, you know, to keep our bodies going. But he didn't. He's given us all sorts of wonderful things that we can try out. 
God's goodness is evident in everything, well, in, in all sorts of things that we look at in the world around us. And God's goodness is, of course, seen, and his love for us is seen most clearly when we look at the cross, when we look at how God loved the world so much that he gave his son for us. If he's willing to give us the, you know, his son on the cross, if Jesus is willing to come and take the wrath of God for all of our sins on himself, we can trust him when he says that he cares about us, when he says that he loves us. And when we look to the cross, we see where Jesus gave everything for us. We see the place where we gain the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Where the eternal treasure that we can look forward to was won for us. Now, in just finishing off on these words of Jesus, in isolation it might look like Jesus is saying, God will provide for you. You don't need to worry. Therefore, you know, sit around and open your mouth up and look up to heaven and the food will get shoveled in. But there's, there's other places in the New Testament where, where Jesus and the other disciples, they affirm the place of work, that God's provision for us can come through work, through uh, his giving us employment that gives us money, that gives us food. And then it can become easy for us to forget God's part in that process and just see the money and the food as what we've earned for ourselves. The, the Bible teaches us that work and the money and the, the things that come with that are all part of God's provision. But Jesus instead here is, is showing us the right relationship with money and possessions and work and salary and all of those things. God knows you need them. Seek him first. Get the God who loves you dearly. Seek after him. Then, when all the other things are added unto you, they become things that make you love God more because he's given them to you rather than things that compete in your heart for your love. There's lots of ways we could do that. We could say grace for our paychecks. Lord, for what we've received, we're truly thankful. When we realise that what we've earned is still God's provision to us and not just my right and my entitlement, it makes us more willing to share When we look around like Jesus told us to and see God's goodness in all sorts of things, it leads us to give thanks to him for every joy and every pleasure in our lives. But there's another example of what it might look like to seek God first in this time that we live in, in this era that we live in. At some point in time, some may face the decision where they have to choose between being faithful to God and losing their job. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added unto you. 
that's never going to be an easy decision. And there's going to be a responsibility from the rest of us to care for those. Uh, that's, as we read through the New Testament, when people, when God's people are going without food, Jesus didn't send manna from heaven. He sent money from the other churches to buy food. We need to look out for one another. But the key to all of this is not about making sacrifices for sacrifice's sake. Not that giving up all that we own so that we might boast without love. But it's all about trusting in God who loves us immensely, whose care for us is evident in all sorts of things in the world around us, but most especially in the cross. And when we can trust him, then we know to seek him first. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you will help us to be wise when it comes to our money. You teach us that money is a useful servant, but a terrible master. Let us not fall into its clutches. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be reminded, as you've reminded us here, that God loves us. And when we can truly believe that, that helps to make those worries and those anxieties so much less scary. Because you are for us. We pray that you will help us to put our trust in you and seek you first. In Jesus' name. Amen. As our hymn this morning, we're going to sing, Seek ye first the kingdom of God.